0: Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. to the local church. I'm Eric. I'm one of the pastors here to all my church family who who are at home right now, to everyone at Everglades Correctional, to everyone who uh, is here in person. uh, Thank you for some of you making some room. You're probably online watching this because uh, we asked people in our 10 o'clock, our 1030, to make some room for some of you guests. So we're we're a little less crowded today. You guys grateful for that? You got a little bit of elbow room. Turn to the person next to you. Tell them, hey, you're looking good. But keep your distance. (laughs) Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. Uh, We're continuing our series called Vampires, where we're talking about these people that suck the life from us. And I don't know about you, but in my life, I have known and experienced so many parasitic, vampiric pastors and church people. Anyone ever experienced vampires in church? My hand's the first one up. Listen, so. Of them. Part of the lore of vampires is that a lot of them they can convince you and hypnotize you to to do what they want you to do by just looking at your eyes. Now I know some of you you don't know that lore about vampires because you you follow these more modern day sparkly vampires. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like this idea that that these, these blood suckers they could hypnotize you just by looking at you. And I've experienced that from church people and pastors. The pastor I grew up under, he was a very charismatic leader. He was well known inside and outside our denomination and well loved. But inside the church, he was verbally and spiritually abusive. He would get us young people in the youth group to do whatever he demanded by verbally abusing us and Putting guilt upon us that if we didn't do what he said when he said it the way he wanted it, he would say that we are faithless and we are no good. He was a vampire. Another pastor I served under, he literally tried to bring division between me and my new bride. He would try to separate what God had brought together by saying things like, Jessica's smart and Eric's an idiot. I I would totally hire Jessica, but Eric, no way. And listen, he was telling the truth, okay? She is smart. I am an idiot. But the methods that he used were scandalous. They 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 were toxic. And then when we came to him with definitive proof, like we got the receipts, we got the emails, why would you say this about us? He began to pass the blame. He began to to say, you should be mad at the person that told you that. You should be mad at the person who sent out my confident emails. Why would they do that? He's passing the blame. He's getting us to get mad at the guy who shared with us and helped us through all the trauma that the other guy created. And then another vampire served under and worked for this pastor who to your face would, would smile and say, man, I love you, brother for you I got your back and then the moment you would left the room he'd work against you he'd stab you in the back He was a vampire who who used to hide in the dark and live this secret life. And anytime someone would get close and sense or see that something was off, he'd stick his fangs to them. He'd suck the life out of them. He'd fired people just because they got to know him a little too close. There's all these vampires in the church. And I know when I share this, I'm coming from a pastor's perspective, but I know that maybe you've come to the perfect place for imperfect people today because you've heard this church is a little bit more friendly, but maybe you have some church hurt Maybe you have some ministry hurt. Maybe there are some preachers, some pastors, some church people who have hurt you and let you down. And I just want to let you know today that from all the church hurt that, that I've experienced and our team has experienced, we've just decided we're not going to do that. We're not going to be those people. We're not going to hurt people even if they disagree with us. We're going to love recklessly and audaciously and generously. Because this is what we've been called to do. And it took me some time to get over a lot of this church hurt. I thought that I had let go of these people. I thought that I'd forgotten about them, tried to forgive them. God, they're yours. But then I saw them in person. Has that ever happened to you? Someone who's hurt you? And then you see them face to face. You're like, oh no, the anxiety wells up again. The the anger starts to build up. For me, I was like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's like, what are you doing here? I wanted to get like a a stake and stab him through the heart. Get rid of the vampires. We're in this series talking about these people who suck the life from us. And I know that many of us can relate vampires they, they just steal and kill and destroy and take your joy. And last week, my pastor came. And um, man, it wasn't easy, was it? He came and he shared something that was difficult but necessary. He shared with us how we should treat these difficult neck biters in our lives, how we should speak value into them and encourage them. And he said something, but he didn't take credit for it. So I'm going to take credit for it today. It wasn't a point, but it is my point today. So here's my first big idea that I came up with for you today. Write this down. God is more committed to your character than your comfort. Do you remember that last week? Man, that was not easy to receive. God is more committed to your character, even if it causes uncomfortability. He wants to grow your character. He wants to shape you more and more into his image. And oftentimes growth has pain attached to it. But the pain, it produces character. And that's what God wants to grow in us. And so today, as we continue this series on vampires, I want us to grow a little bit more, and it's going to cause some of us to be uncomfortable. Are we okay with that today? Are we okay with experiencing a little bit of discomfort so we can experience some growth? Amen? Amen. Today's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but it's necessary. And it's going to set some of us free in this place. I want you to turn your Bible to Luke chapter 15. You can follow along on the app or on the screen. Luke chapter 15, you might see the heading of this passage. It's known as the prodigal son, right? Has anyone heard that story about the prodigal son? But it's a bit of a a misnomer because it's not really a story about a son. It's a story about two sons and a father. It's a story about a family. And in this family, God is our father. Are we grateful that God is our father? Amen? Amen. But how many of us know that even though we're in a family, a church, familia, in this family, there are still some vampires. There are still some people who suck the life out of us, who steal our joy. I want to talk about this family. And I want to add on to what my pastor spoke last week about encouraging and speaking life into them. And that's not always easy, but the question I want to pose today is what do we do when they don't receive it? What do we do with people who, when we pour out love upon them, they don't receive it, they reject it, they continue to be toxic and parasitic, they continually hurt us in that relationship, and they have no fruit of repentance? What do we do with those people who do not repent? And reconcile with us. I want you to say release. Release. Say it one more time. Say release. Release. 2022 at the local church is our year of release. And today, as we talk about what it means to to let go of these bloodsuckers in our lives. I need to encourage you that sometimes the most loving thing we can do is release the vampires in our life. And love them from a distance. Let me say that again because some of you don't think I'm talking to your situation. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do is release the vampires that cause pain in our lives and love them from a distance. I want to talk about that in a teaching I've titled, Let Go Like the Father. Today we're going to learn to let go of these people but not like our culture and not like our flesh desires, but we're gonna let go like the Father. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11, it says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. He says, a man had two sons. Luke chapter 15 is filled with several examples of the heart of our heavenly Father, how he seeks and saves and celebrates those who are lost. Why? Because he loves. Say love. Love is a verb. Love is not simply something we feel. Oftentimes that is lust. But what love is, love is an action. And vampires, they talk a whole lot about love, but they don't do a whole lot of doing when it comes to love, right? I mean, you've seen the movies, you've heard the stories. A lot of them are romantic and good looking and they'll convince you that they love you and they'll convince you that they're for you. And then when you close your eyes, you're like, oh, you're just you know, thrown in the throngs of love. They'll stick their fangs into your neck and turn you as toxic as they are. Love does. Does. And the example we get with this heavenly father is that he is a loving father in this family who shows his love. He has two boys and what he's done is protected and provided for them and their future. The book of Proverbs says that a wise father stores up treasures and lays down an inheritance for his children's children. Man, that's, that's for us today. Don't be like a vampire and just hoard stuff for yourself and get all the toys and technology for yourself. For us to love our families means we think beyond ourselves. We think of our children and leaving a legacy for their future for our family. This is what this father has done. And this father represents our heavenly father. But we have these two sons. The first one I want to talk about today. He responded rebelliously. He took the love of his father who has prepared all of this for his future. And he responds rebelliously. See, I want you to understand this isn't a teenager. This is a man. This is someone who's grown up, but he has not matured. This is someone who's aged, but he has not matured. Again, men, I want to do a little side for you today. Being a man isn't just about like your beard and your bicep, okay? Being a man is also about the heart, it's about the mind. Ladies, can I get a witness? Yes. Godly women are, are, are looking not just for an attractional, buff, good-looking guy, but someone who, who thinks about the future, someone who, who lives in wisdom, someone who is compassionate and empathetic. But this son, he is, he is self-serving. He is self-centered. He, he goes to his father and essentially tells his dad, I wish you were dead. I know you have stored up an inheritance for us, and it's a lot, but I can't have it until you're dead, and I want it now. So why don't you give it to me so I can go? I mean, this is someone who hasn't worked for anything but is demanding everything from his family. Sounds a little too close to home for some of us today. We won't talk about that today, but I want you to think about that hurt. What would you do in that situation if someone that you love basically came up to you and says, I don't care about you anymore. I wish you were dead. Let me tell you, that that would destroy me it would break my heart at first i'd be angry and i'd want to destroy them parents you know this all of us have thought this maybe you've heard that from your parents growing up if you've heard it if you said it follow after me i brought you into this world i'll take you out, I'll take you out. don't you disrespect me boy Are you kidding me your old man can still throw down okay i'd be angry i'd be furious well, what do you mean after all that I've done for you, but then my heart would break. And so many of us, we understand that pain of someone that we love, that we poured so much of our life into, one day just realizing, you know what? I don't care about you anymore. What do we do with those people? Those people that continue to cause hurt and pain in our relationship, no matter how much we've extended love and grace and encouragement to them. Well, what does a father do? it's important. Luke 15, 12, the younger son said to his father, I want my share of your estate now. Instead of waiting until you die, I wish you were dead. Give me what I deserve. And the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. The father released him. The father let go of this son that he loves. And I know that's heavy. I know that's hard. You need to understand that it is not, nor will it ever be easy to release the people that you love. Not just the feelings behind it, the finances behind it. This son wanted everything now. The father had to liquidate his assets immediately. All of you in business, you know, you you can't do that at a good price. The father lost so much of his investment to give the son what he wanted to release him and the son didn't care. As long as I get what I want when I want it, that's all the son cared about. And so many of us have experienced this pain of people that we thought would be in our life forever hurting us, abandoning us, rebelling, leaving us hurt and in pain. So here's a lesson that I want you to hear today. And again, this this may not be easy for a lot of us to receive. I want you to write this down. Think about this. If we want to be filled with peace, how many of us want to be filled with peace? Right. The anxiety in your mind loses its power. The effects of the world around you seem insignificant. That's what peace is. If we want to be filled with peace, we have to release the vampires in our family. And you can replace family with whatever you want in the fill in the blank. We have to release the vampires in our friendships, the vampires in our workplace, the vampires in our circle of friends. Whatever that is, if we love someone and we continue to love them and we've done everything in our ability to be at peace with them, we've got the counseling. Maybe it's me. The counselor's saying, no, it's not you. It's them. You've got the mediation. You've done everything. You've tried to work it out, but they still continue to allow Satan to steal, kill, and destroy from your life. Sometimes the best thing that we can do is let them go. The Father... In all his wisdom, let his son go. The father's love, you need to understand this. It's never ending. It's overwhelming. It is eternal, but but our heavenly father will never force his love upon someone. So how much less can we try to convince someone that we love them? We can't. You've tried it. You've pleaded your case and they continue to be toxic in your life. And we can't, we can't enable them. We can't just give them everything we want and then keep them around because that is unhealthy. So what do we do? We let them go. We release them. Here's why this is important. Luke 15:13 A few days later this younger son packed all his belongings and took a trip to a distant land there he wasted all his money on what Las Vegas Nevada Amsterdam. He just spent all this money. This is like a story that is so common in our culture of someone who's received an inheritance or won the lottery. Now all of a sudden they have all this money and they're spending it on new clothes, new car, condos all over the place. They're going to the bar saying, everyone drinks on me? Yeah, You know, go to the nightclub, get the escorts. Just spending and spending and spending all of their money until it runs out. Luke 15, 14. About this time, his money ran out, and a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. This famine is what we liken to an economic downturn. Property values have just plummeted, gas prices have increased. Everything you have is now either worthless or worthless. He doesn't doesn't have a job anymore. He can't pay his bills. He lost his condo. He's kicked out on the street. He can't find a job and now he's homeless. This is what happens. This is what happens to so many people who are not wise and they get all these resources and they spend it on unwise living Luke 15, 15, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. This young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. To understand this even more, you have to understand, this is a Jewish fellow. And in their culture, pigs are unclean. You don't eat pigs. You don't work with pigs. They are unclean. This is the worst possible job that he could have. Now, side note here, okay? Jesus says it's not what comes into the mouth that defiles a man. It's what comes out of the mouth. Because what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. But what comes into the mouth is purified by the stomach, and then it gets released by the other end. And so, praise Jesus. Pass the bacon. Amen. That joint asado is okay, pork ribs. It is okay, chops. Whatever you want to say, it is it is free for us to consume. Amen. Amen. But this son, he he's he's working with these pigs and he's looking at these pods. He's wondering, would this be nourishment to me? I have nothing. I have no one. I have no friends. I've I've exhausted all my resources. No one has given me charity. No one has helped me. The last gift that I got was from my father. And now he's hungry. He's homeless. And he's hit rock bottom. Say rock rock bottom. I want you to hear this. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do for vampires is to let them hit rock bottom. Again, I want you to understand that this is not comfortable, but this will set us free if we put it into practice. If there are bloodsuckers in your life who are poisoning you and your relationships, sometimes the most loving thing we can do is to let them hit rock bottom to let them go after their their own devices. Sometimes we have to let people fail. Parents, sometimes you have to let your children fail. Hit rock bottom. And I know that sounds terrible, so please don't make this a soundbite online. Let, Let me give you some context. See, the world, our culture cancels people. We're aware of that, aren't we? You said something 15 years ago on Twitter, we caught you, you're canceled. If you cross mainstream media, if you make a mistake, culture says, post it up online. Tell the world what they did. Make it permanent. Block them. Unfriend them. Say they're no longer part of your family. And make it perpetual. This is what the culture does. But we don't live in the culture of the world, amen? We carry the culture of the kingdom of God. We have the mind of Christ in the heart of our heavenly father. So we don't cancel people. But we do pray that they hit rock bottom. See, rock bottom, I love that term. When we say rock bottom, we mean that someone is at their lowest point. And that may seem like a terrible place to be, but let me tell you some things I know about rock bottom. Like the old hymn says, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Every level above rock bottom has been shifting, sinking sand because our eyes are not fixated on him. But when we are at rock bottom, when someone you know is at rock bottom and they have eyes to see, they'll acknowledge, they'll, they'll understand that even though they don't have anything in this world, they, they've always had what they've needed in Christ Jesus. Some of us, we, we need to start praying today that those people we love hit rock bottom. Now again, let me make this clear. I'm not saying we wish the worst for them. I'm not saying God punished them. But we're saying, Lord, help them to see that their life is folly. That what they're living for is foolish. The pain that they're causing other people does not benefit them or anyone else. Help them to realize that you are all that they need. And if you have to take them down to rock bottom so that they can look up and see your grace and experience your love, Lord, let them do it because we want them to be set free. Amen? Amen. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do is... To let people hit rock bottom. To let go of them. To let them experience what it is to have nothing but everything in Jesus. Luke 15, 17. Let me tell you what happens when we pray for people and they hit rock bottom. When he finally came to his senses... When the son realized what he had done, he hit rock bottom, but he came to his senses. He said to himself, man, at home, even the hired men have food enough to spare. And here I am, I'm dying of hunger. Well, I'm gonna go home and to my father. And I'm gonna say, father, I've sinned both against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired man. He finally understood and he finally acknowledged his sin. He said, I've sinned against my father in heaven. I've sinned against my father on earth. I've rebelled against God. Ways for me, and I've walked over all the people in my life. He understood that, He acknowledged that. In essence, He repented. Say, Repent. He repented of what He had done. I talked about repentance two weeks ago. We're going to continue to talk about repentance when we talk about release, but repentance is not simply saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done. I love this one. I'm sorry you feel that way. That's not an apology. And that's certainly not repentance. Repentance is not simply saying I'm sorry. Repentance is not simply feeling sorry for what you've done. Repentance is a change of thinking that leads to a change in action. It's a it's a change in your belief that leads to a change in your behavior. And let me tell you, repentance is powerful. It will set us free from all the the divisive decisions that that we've made that that headed us down dead-end paths. But you need to understand this about repentance. For real repentance to take root, something has to be let go of. For us... To truly repent and experience freedom in our lives, we have to release our self sufficient tendencies, our self serving behavior. We have to learn to release that. Listen, let me make this as plain as day. If we repent, that means part of us must die. And vampires don't want to die. Vampires want to hold on to life. And so they hold on to all the toxic behavior that turned them into who they are. But if we want to experience freedom in Christ, we have to approach him with repentance and die to ourselves. And when we do that, the penalty of sin, the penalty of death, and all the toxic behavior, if we kill it and we turn back and return to him, we can be set free. This happens by repentance. Again, he says, I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned both against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me as a hired man. This was a good admission and a step in the right direction. And some of us today, we need to start in that direction. You need to pick up the phone, don't text them, call them up and say, I'm sorry. If you're welcome in their home, maybe knock on their door today and say, I'm sorry, but, but it doesn't end there. That's only the beginning. Saying sorry is not enough. We have to show that we're sorry. We have to show fruit of repentance. And God can restore any broken relationship. But are we willing to repent? Let me tell you where it begins, though. That's a good step for many of us to take today. But don't miss what he missed. See, the son, although he took a step in the right direction, he missed his identity. He said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. He was right, but he was also very wrong. Because our identity is not found in what we've done. Our past does not define who we are today. Our identity is found alone in Jesus. Amen? Amen? Who he says we are is who we are. What he believes about us is who we are. But we could never earn that on our own. So he is right. I'm not worthy to be called your son. We're not. We're not worthy to be called sons and daughters, but we have a father who embraces us still. We have a father who loves us as we are and will continually love us as we are. And he shows this love to us. He doesn't just speak about it. He displays this love. Verse 18, he says, Oh, come on, my father. Say, Father, I've sinned both against heaven and you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Verse 20, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. See, we know that the father released his son in love. How do we know that? because he was waiting. He didn't cancel him. He didn't block him. He didn't change a profile picture and edit that son out and say, this is my family, not that son. No, he, he's waiting, hopefully, for this son to come back. He's waiting. He's looking on the horizon for the day that his, he would see that figure in the distance. He released his son in love because he was waiting for him to come back home. He wanted reconciliation. He wanted repentance. And when he saw his son turn, verse 20 continues on. It says, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, in this culture, Middle Eastern men did not run. If you saw a Middle Eastern man running during this time, it was either one of two reasons. Number one, he committed a crime, he was running away from it. Or number two, someone's about to commit a crime on him, and he's running away from it. But they were very distinguished, even until this day. Older, more respectful Hebrew men do not run. They take their time. They walk. They stand firm. But our Heavenly Father... He's a father who runs toward us. He runs after us. He doesn't wait for the son to come groveling back and say, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. He doesn't wait for his son to pay back everything that, that he had 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 squandered for him to receive him back. He can't wait another second to be reconciled to his son. You need to understand, in this culture, the son, the son he, he was under a whole lot of pressure because a father could have done a number of things to this disobedient, rebellious son. Under the law, he could have at minimum just guilted him for the rest of his life. I mean, some of you as moms or dads, you do that to your children. Oh, you forgot you had a mom. Well, I'm glad you called back. It's like, mom, stop doing that. He could have done that. And that would have been okay by the law. And the son would have just had to suck it up. He also was able to in prison or stone and take the life of his son that was okay according to their law. So the son has to be wondering what's gonna happen. How's my dad gonna receive me? Is he going to receive me? He has all of this fear and anxiety as he's coming back, but what does he see? Bible says he sees a father smiling. From a distance, the father, his arms are not crossed with a scowl on his face. He's smiling with his arms outstretched. And then he runs to the son and he embraces and he kisses the son. And the language used here is emphatic. It's not he just, good work, son. Wow. No, no. He continues to embrace him. He continues to kiss him. This is the love of who? Our heavenly father. This is who this is about. And some of us, we've been like this prodigal son. Some of us, we've been the vampire who has sucked the joy and the life out of our relationships. We've rebelled. We've ruined our lives. We've hurt other people. And repentance is what will get us to turn back. And when we turn back, the Father runs to us. He embraces us. He kisses us. He welcomes us. He celebrates us. Verse 21, his son said to him, father, I've sinned both against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine. He was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. And listen, next week, We're going to take some time to celebrate this Heavenly Father. I'm so grateful for a Father who embraces us, who loves us, who receives us, who welcomes us. We're going to talk in detail of all of what that means. The sick, ring, the sandals, the embrace, the fatted calf. We have a Father who celebrates us. But what I've noticed today is that you've been very silent. And for good reason. I know when, when I've read that passage time and time again, and I thought of the people that have done this toxic behavior in my life, I'm wondering, God, is that what you want me to do? Some of you are wondering today, is that what you're telling me I need to do today? I need to embrace them? The people who have caused so much damage to my life and my family. The people who have hurt me in indescribable ways. If they just say I'm sorry and they knock on my door. I have to let them come into my house again. I have to celebrate them. Is, is that what you're saying? No. I don't know the depth of the pain that people have caused in your life. I don't know how long they have sucked the joy from your family and from your existence. So I'm not saying that you need to embrace them and you need to welcome them back into your life and you need to celebrate that they have repented and come back home. I'm not saying that today. But what I am saying is that what, that's what God did for us. And if we can start there, if we can understand that we have been the prodigal son or daughter, that we have rebelled and turned our back on him, that we've lived our own ways, we've heard his word. We we know you said that this is what's best for me, but God, I want to do what I want to do. I want to live my life wildly. I want to go and spend my money on what I want to spend it on and surround myself with people. That I want to spend time with, and and I I I, I just want to do what I want to do when we've turned our backs toward him, and when we found that this isn't the life, and we look back to our Father, we see Him smiling with arms outstretched to receive us home. If we can start there, that we've been that vampire. But he is still consistently a father who loves and receives us. If we can be here with God and understand that, then it'll help us to get there with them. Next Sunday, we're gonna talk about the second son. The son who didn't want to receive the brother home. And maybe you feel like that person right now. Maybe as I've been talking, you're saying, no, don't say it no, I'm not coming back next week. I don't want to receive them. That seems like I'm putting myself in danger if I allow them to come back in. We're gonna talk about this son who did not want to receive his brother. And if that sounds like you, I wanna encourage you to come back so we can have hope and we can understand how by the grace of God, at some point we can get to a place of reconciliation. But, but today, today, for us to begin to release those people who have not repented, we need to remember. Final big idea is this. I can begin to release them by remembering him. I know they hurt you. I know The damage that they've caused seems irreversible and irrevocable. But we can start today to release these people who have not repented by remembering him. As you walked in today, you should have received one of these communion packets. Inside of there is a wafer and some grape juice. If you recall... The final supper that Jesus had with his friends and his disciples. They took bread and they broke it. They took wine and they drank it. He seated with 12 people who followed him. One of them who was about to deny him. Another one who was about to lead him to be punished and crucified and tortured. But Jesus still took this time with the people in his life to remember To remember what he was about to do for them, what he's already done for us. And we're going to take some time to take communion at home. If you want to grab some elements, it doesn't matter if you don't have grape juice, doesn't matter if you don't have a wafer, if you have bread and your kid's apple, it doesn't matter because contrary to popular belief, we are not eating his flesh and drinking his blood. That talk about vampires, that would be totally vampiric, right? These are just symbols that represent his sacrifice and his promise to us. On that day, Jesus he gathered his disciples and he held up a piece of bread and he said, "This is my body that has been torn for you." He says, "As often as you take this, do it in remembrance of me." Will we take this in remembrance? Jesus, thank you for the body that you broke for us. And it wasn't because of Judas and it wasn't because of Peter. On your own accord, you laid down your life. You were bruised and beaten and broken in half for us out of love so that we could be made whole again thank you that the times that we've turned our backs on you, that you still love us as we are. We remember your sacrifice for us as imperfect people. He also took the fruit of the vine and he held it up and he said, this is the blood of a new covenant, a new promise represents the blood that he spilled for us, that washes all of our sin away, all of our shame away, all of our self-serving, self-centered behavior that we've sucked the life out of people. He says This represents my blood that will wash away all of your shame. And as often as you take it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take the fruit of the vine in remembrance of the blood that he spilled. Thank you for listening to the Local Church Podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, you matter to God and you matter to us.